Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Welcome to Six Degrees of John Keel. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me is Kendra Bauer and Morgana. Michael M. Hughes is an author, speaker, magical thinker, and activist. He is the creator of the internationally viral spell to bind Donald Trump and all those who abet him, the largest magical working in history. He speaks on politics, magic, pop culture, psychedelics, the paranormal, and tarot. His latest book, Magic for the Resistance, Rituals and Spells for Change, is published by Llewellyn Worldwide and is available everywhere. And here's Michael. Hello, Michael. Hey, thank you. Uh, it's it's very so very cool to be here, having known you as a person, online friend kind of person <laughs> for so long. So uh, this this is this is a really cool uh, cool way to meet. Thank you. Thank you. I was just very excited that you you know approached and were like, hey, you want to have me on your podcast? I'm like, cool. That, yes, that's way easier than the way I usually do it. I have to chase people down and twist their arms behind their backs and go, hey, please be on the podcast. And There's bribery involved. Yeah, there is. There is. I mean, he could still have cookies. Yeah, we can still like feed you at some point. <laughs> cookies. Yeah. I'll take cookies. <laughs> cookies take are cookies. always good. <laughs> cookies and pie. Um, all right. So in addition to being an author and a magical practitioner and uh, a uh, speaker, you also are an experiencer, much like the three of us are. And so I'm going to just pretend like we just met at a party and we're just going (laughs) to get to know everybody. So tell us about your experiences that led you into being the person you are today. (laughs) Oh, man, where to start? Um... Well, as a, as a little kid, I had some odd stuff happening. Um, I still, you know, remember quite vividly, as vividly as you can remember things from an early age. But luckily, some of it is supported by, like, my mom. So <laughs> I know I'm not just confabulating this stuff. Um, I used to see lights in my bedroom a lot, and it would freak me out. But the the most distinct um, experiences I remember, and I feel like this happened on more than one occasion because it felt familiar when it happened, is I was standing in the hallway of my house, my parents' house as a kid, and my parents were in the living room right behind me watching TV on old you know, black and white TV where you had to get up and change the channels kind of TV. Some of your listeners may remember those. And I was standing in the hallway. My bedroom was at the very end of the hallway. So my parents were behind me watching TV, the blue light of the TV in the room. And I'd look down the hallway at my bedroom and I had this little bank. It was like a dog bank. 
made of red plastic and it was maybe about a foot tall or maybe a little bit taller and it had these big eye stickers for eyes so it had these real all of it was one color but it had these real prominent eye stickers i could see it still today and i remember standing in the hallway looking into my bedroom and noticing the light thing happening in my bedroom and then i would get so overcome i kind of have chills every time i tell this story still i i would just get overcome by this feeling that i had to just lie down on the floor and almost like passing out or going unconscious i, I remember just either falling or just kind of slowly dropping to the floor like face first and going unconscious. And then at some point coming back to consciousness again and and just kind of being kind of shocked that my parents who were still sitting in the living room weren't saying, hey, what, what are you doing? Like, what happened to you? And it always felt like some time passed. Um, you know, I was probably like, six, seven years old, somewhere within that age range. And another time that felt very similar, um, I woke up at the bottom of the stairs in the basement. Mm. And if you're a kid and you live in a house with a basement, it's like the scariest place imaginable. So waking up at the bottom of the stairs coming to consciousness at the bottom of the stairs was so terrifying. Like it was, I was almost too terrified to move, but I remember like getting up and running up the stairs as fast as I could. And, and I, I know I'd, I, I'd never used to sleepwalk. I, I, I'm pretty certain I didn't sleepwalk and fall down the stairs. It really felt like somehow I was taken there and left and woke up there. And my my mother told me, and this freaked me out when I saw the, the movie Communion uh, later in life, when Whitley Strieber's kid said to him something that just kind of immediately just completely froze me with, with fear. And the kid said um, that there were little doctors in his room. And that's when I used to tell my mother that there were doctors in, in my room. So when I saw that in the movie, I guess I was in my 20s or something. It was just like, oh, no, that's too, that's too creepy. By that point, I had read a lot of literature about abductions and things like that. And I guess I should say at one point, um, I probably maybe jump in the gun, but when I was talking to Bud Hopkins and telling him some of this stuff, he said, why don't you come to New York and I'll do a regression on you? And I said, no, not going to do it for not because I was afraid of what might come out of that particularly, but I, I was so just completely immersed in the the lore at that point that I thought, and I'm a creative person, you know, I write fiction, I write short stories and stuff like that. I know my brain could manufacture something. And I didn't want to take a chance that I would live for the rest of my life thinking something may have happened when it just could have been confabulation 
on the part of my brain. Um, but that was the stuff that happened as a kid. I, I always, I, my, you know, I've always been interested in the idea that these kind of anomalous experiences are generational because my father had some weird stuff happen to him. Like um, he met a man at a park once who seemed to be able to throw his voice, make his voice come out of a tree. Um, he said this guy just seemed like really magical in a way that he found hard to explain. He also had a sort of some kind of um, experience of a, a like a disembodied head at the foot of his bed when he was a kid, just sort of a floating head sort of thing. Um, so as I grew up, my dad used to read like Frank Edwards book, all these paperbacks about UFOs and ghosts and Bigfoot and all that sort of stuff. So luckily as a kid, I, he'd put the book down and I would read it. So I had a steady diet of that sort of thing. And it was the seventies. So it was like in search of was on TV, like my favorite show. And I feel like in the seventies, like culture kind of like it is today was really just immersed in the paranormal and the occult and the weird and all that sort of thing. So, so my whole childhood was really just soaking in this weird stuff. And so it, it's really, it's felt like it's kind of my, who I am, uh, you know, I, I, this is, these are the things that intrigue me. I, I think a lot of it's based on stuff that actually happened, but a lot of it is just from the culture that I, that I grew up into. Morgana, I saw your face. Yeah, we all <laughs> saw Morgana react. <laughs> Go ahead and tell him. Yeah. Um, so one of my earlier experiences with, with a floating disembodied glowing orange head outside of my closet door as a child. Yikes. Okay. So I was like, oh, somebody else got the glowing head or at least wow. the floating disembodied head. I don't know if your dad's was glowing. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't remember if, if he said it was glowing. I, I should also add that another strange thing that happened, I was I was older. I was in my teens at the time. But whenever I would go into a room and it seemed like a weird compulsion that had absolutely no rhyme or reason behind it, I would have to look in closets. I even would, I would look behind the shower curtain in the bathroom. I would open up the bathroom closet and look in the hamper, you know? And even as I was doing this, I was thinking, why am I doing this? <laughs> like. I know there's nothing in there, or at least I'm pretty sure there's nothing in there, but it was, it was a compulsion that lasted like a couple of years. And, um, and then I later heard that that that's not that uncommon, but while I was experiencing it, it just seemed like the stupidest, weirdest behavior. Like why would I go into a room and have to see that there's nothing in the closet or behind the shower curtain or something like that. And although a lot of this stuff, I mean, it's classic, like abductee or experiencer behavior and experiences. Like I've never been comfortable saying, oh, I'm a UFO experiencer or, or I'm an abductee or anything like that. Even though I've had a sighting, which we could talk about at some point, but it's, I just, you know, like, like you guys, it's, it's still a mystery as I think, as, as to what this is. It feels too open-ended 
to classify it as something. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I had the lights in the room as a kid. So what did your lights look like? Can you describe them? Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes it was like a like a ball of light or something. Sometimes it would seem kind of ephemeral, like the room was just lit up. One time in particular, and this this is the the strangest of all, but I, I remember I remember distinctly, and I've drawn it several times later in my life to kind of remember it. But it looked like a letter L, like almost like a cursive letter L. And I remember it kind of like sort of floating side to side in the air. And that, oh, wow. yeah, like that, I've never seen or heard that anywhere. But I remember just that that loopy sort of shape, a, a light in a kind of a loopy L shape. So go that, figure. That's weird because that's like my go-to uh, doodle is just to do that down pages. And I'll just do pages and pages of that. That's really mm -hmm. weird. I don't even know why. I've always just been attracted to that shape. That's interesting. Yeah. And it, I mean, I've heard, you know, reports of like UFOs making that sort of like seesaw shape going back and forth. And, but, As but this, this was more yeah. like a, like a, like a floating letter or, or a sigil or, or mm -hmm. something like that. So that was, that was weird. Floating sigils are cool though. <laughs> floating sigils <laughs> are cool. That is pretty awesome. Really. Yeah, my lights were generally really tiny. Hmm, like, mm -hmm. you would think they would be like the flashes that you get when you close your eyes and then open them in the dark and your mm -hmm. eyes are struggling to see, mm -hmm. except that the cat reacted to them too. Yeah. And yeah. that, that kind of, even at a, you know, at the age of five, six, I knew that if the cat saw it, then it wasn't just something that I was dreaming or imagining or, you know, stuff like that. And she reacted the couple of times that I had creatures sort of ooze in through the walls. Um, those were kind of weird, sort of blobby shaped things. Hmm. Um, they, they did not look like greys. Um, they were not refined like that. They weren't slender. I didn't notice that their heads were particularly too big. They just were all kind of blobby. They were humanoid. There mm -hmm. was a head, two arms, two legs, but they were just sort of shaped, not right. And they looked to be made out of a bluish white light. And they just sort of oozed through the walls. I don't like things that ooze through walls. I just have a <laughs> thing about it. There, yeah. There's a, there's a, uh, Twilight Zone episode where a woman couldn't have any patterns because pareidolia would happen. And then, you know, you later find out that, you know, if there's a pattern, then the faces come and that they had them, you know, pushing through the wall and, you know, it was a stretched sheet and people's faces were coming, but I didn't like it. I did not like it. <laughs> and I was old enough to not be weirded out by that, but I had to, just get up and go over and turn off the TV. And my mother was like, why'd you turn it off? I'm like, because <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> why? No, no reason. I'm not going to tell you. Um, and she's like, well, I want to see what happens. So, you know, she went and turned it back on and I just went upstairs and 
stared at my wall and went, don't you dare come through there, anything, whatever you are. <laughs> yeah, so. that's, that's, that, that's pretty creepy. Um, I, I've, I did have a lot of sleep paralysis too. Um, and night terrors, like, like my mother would come in my room. I would be just my mouth open trying to scream, but nothing coming out. So that was, that was kind of par for the course too, as a kid. And, uh, yeah, it was, I, I grew up feeling like the world was haunted and strange and, um, you know, psychic. I had, I had lots of dreams as a kid that later came true. Um, the, the one that, that really sticks with me. Um, and I, I told my parents about it. So they actually heard it and confirmed this as well is I, I, I had a dream that there was, there were coffins floating in like a river oh. and people screaming and people drowning and things like that. And, you know, told them about this dream. And I think it was later that day, not sure what the timing was. It might've been kind of morning. Um, shortly after I had this dream, I, I could, I could go verify the time because this happened in the real world. Um, an airplane hit a bridge in Washington, DC and went into the water and there were people being rescued out of this icy water and, you know, several people lost their lives, but, but just that image and the fact that I had, I had mentioned it to my parents and then this, this happens and it's on TV and we're sitting there watching it on TV, people being pulled out of icy water uh, after a plane crash, things like that. So it, it never, like I never questioned uh, precognitive dreams or psychic sort of flashes or anything like that. Cause I, I just, I had them and it just seemed kind of real and normal. Yeah, that that's, I think all, all four of us grew up in a, in a enchanted or haunted world, or it was both mm -hmm. mine. It sort of seesawed back and forth, you know, haunted, enchanted, haunted, enchanted. <laughs> it depended um, if I was scared or not. If I was scared, I was haunted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I'm like you, Michael, I never felt like what I experienced was UFO oriented, particularly. I don't know why I read the same books you read, because I think we had the same dad, you know, the same <laughs> model of dad, you know, maybe not the same exact one. Their serial mm -hmm. numbers were different, but um, mine read the same books, left them around the house and I would pick them up and read them. And then I would have night terrors and then my mother would blame them on me reading these, these uh, horrible books and watching, you know, the twilight zone and, and all the things that, you know, we watched on TV in search of and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, it never stopped me from reading this stuff anyway, but nope. I never did feel though, like I had ever seen a UFO, like the lights in my room. I never associated that with any kind of UFO phenomena. Even after I read Communion and scared myself half to death reading it, because that is an eerie book. Even if you've never had a weird experience in your life, I dare anybody to read it and not go, oh, man, no. Because <laughs> that book's made of no, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but 
I never felt like the weird blobby beings oozing through the wall had anything to do with that. I, I just never did. Um, it's only been in, in later years I've looked back and gone, you know, when the moon seemed to split into four different moons and they were all, you know, round silver balls in the sky, you know, that could have been a UFO thing. Big dummy. What do you, you know, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't, none of us classified it as that. Yeah. I mean, the, the default is like ghosts or spirits or, or something like that. When this, when this stuff, especially, Back then, when I think the only real, you know, abductee stories were like Betty and Barney Hill, um, you know, it wasn't until, I guess, you know, um, Bud Hopkins books or, and, uh, you know, and then obviously Streber that this stuff started, we, we started thinking of the UFO phenomenon as larger and incorporating more weirdness, the, the high strangeness sort of stuff. So I was, in, I was in the same, same sort of boat and I, I had never had a UFO sighting till until 1990. Oh God, what was it now? 1992. No, it must've been a little bit later than that. Anyway, I have it written down. I, for some reason I'm blanking on the year, but I was at the beach in Ocean City, Maryland with my girlfriend on the beach. And it was September 23rd. I love the 23, obvious, <laughs> the 23 resonance. Yeah. But it was September 23rd. And we're walking on the beach. And it was nighttime. And since it was September, there was no one around. I mean, we basically had the beach to ourselves. And it was a clear night, no, hardly any clouds. Stars were beautiful. One end, one end of the beach was just light from the buildings down there. The other end was like the lights of, uh, of the boardwalk and that sort of thing. And it was just otherwise just beautiful black sky stars. And that whole weekend previously, this is like a Sunday night, I think. I had been, for, I'd had dreams about UFOs for the first time. Um, one of the dreams was a panel uh, talking about UFOs and one was like a, like a uh, David Icke sort of guy, like, oh, they're reptilians and they're going to eat your children. One was like a Jacques Vallée sort of guy. One was like a Stanton Friedman, Friedman um, you know, nuts and bolts. So it was this panel in my dream talking about what they were. And I woke up and, and it was such an interesting dream. I wrote it down. I had also been reading a lot about UFOs, but the street, but I never dreamt about them. So that was kind of weird. So that, that was like, you know, Saturday night, I had this dream. So Sunday I'm out walking along the beach, just me and my girlfriend, beautiful, dark sky, starry sky. And I looked down and someone had made like a face in the sand, but there was a tire track running across it kind of obscuring it, but it was clearly someone had sculpted like some kind of face. And instantly I thought about a couple of weeks before when we were at the beach, when I had made, we were all making sand sculptures, different part of the beach weeks earlier, but I made an alien head with its little arm waving hello. And this was weeks before. So seeing this face on, in the sand at the beach, I thought that's that's really weird, you know, synchronicity or whatever. At that point in my life, it was just like wave after wave of synchronicity. So it wasn't even that, you know, big of a deal. But it, 
I looked up at the sky at that point and I said, okay, if you're out there, now's the perfect time to show yourself. There's no one around. It's the perfect time to, to show me if you're out there. And it's kind of joking, you know, it just never really did that before, but it felt like a funny thing to do, having just seen the face in the sand and linking it back and thinking about the dream and all this stuff that was happening that weekend. So we kept walking a little ways, and then my girlfriend pointed up and said, what are those? And I followed where she was pointing, and there were these two orange lights, maybe like the size of like a, I don't know, like a garbanzo bean, is maybe size so they they were kind of they were round um, maybe a little oblong and they were just bobbing like back and forth next to each other going up and down and up and down and then as soon as i looked at them because she was watching them bobbing and as soon as i looked up they stopped bobbing and they start shooting across the sky yes. and they were making these crazy movements it was clearly propelled you know you can tell i grew up near an airport so i've seen planes i've seen helicopters and these things were like moving and they were clearly propelled they weren't like blowing in the wind they weren't chinese lanterns i didn't even know what a chinese lantern was back then um but they were moving and they were doing these crazy patterns in the air and then at one point they came together as one and were fl flying as one thing for a while and then they split up again and then shoot, just like shot off into the distance. And I remember standing there and, and all I could say, I mean, my girlfriend's standing next to me like speechless. And I was just going, oh my God, 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 probably 50 times. And then I just got scared. You know, I was like, wait a minute. And it kind of dawned on me that I had sort of asked to see whatever these things were and then they, they actually showed up and that scared the crap out of me i mean i was it, it just completely chilled and ha having read all these books like communion and so forth like i was terrified at that point like i gotta get at, like we just took off <laughs> we left the beach and it seems kind of silly now like why why would that be so scary? They weren't there anymore, you know, but just the experience was so overwhelming and just impossible to wrap my head around that. Uh, and I'd like to say that that like changed my conception about UFOs, but I already, you know, I'd already been reading Valet and, and Streber and stuff like that. So I already kind of felt like these things were more than just nuts and bolts spaceships and that they were tied to consciousness somehow. But that drove the point home. Um, you know, asking to see something and having it materialize, that changed my entire outlook on everything. Yeah, and that would. And that's a scary, scary thing. Had you started practicing magic by then? No, I was not practicing magic. Um, I wasn't, do well, maybe I should take that back. Um, I'm trying to get the chronology right here, but at that point I'd been in introduced to a woman who was a witch and she had given me like Scott Cunningham's um, guide for the Wicca, guide for the solitary practitioner. 
I'm not sure if I had actually taken the step to doing magic at that point, but it was roughly around the same time. But it definitely wasn't, I wasn't thinking about, oh, doing rituals to manifest things or something like that. I mean, the Cunningham book's pretty like Wicca light. Um, yeah. You know, pretty just like the the religious aspects of it more than like manifestations. That kind of magic I got into later. But after this happened, I started really looking into like, okay, well, if uh, <laughs> if you can ask for something and have it show up, then that changes everything. Yeah. And it it is very, in my case, the 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 part that got me and that terrified me it wasn't a ufo it was an orange orb a few feet in front of my face that you know was blinking on and off and it looked like a a moth that was glowing orange from the outs from the inside out and then it blinked away and disappeared and then it flashed back on and it was an orb with a little Tinkerbell looking naked lady in there. And I would have thought I had lost all parts of my mind at that point, except <laughs> there was one of my friends next to me had a hold of my wrist and was about to crush the bones in it. He was a guitarist. And he was like, do you see that? You know? And I, it was, it was really terrifying. And what was terrifying wasn't just that I was staring at something impossible, which is horrible enough. It was that three days earlier at our pagan bookstore, speaking of Scott Cunningham, I don't know how many, how many copies of that book I sold. <laughs> um, it, we had had a discussion group and I was known around town as the fairy lady because I, my husband and I knew so much fairy lore and people had been seeing these lights around town. And so people would ask questions. So we did a, a discussion group on fairy lore. And I had said, and I can almost exactly quote it because I will never forget it after this experience. I said, somebody said, oh, I wish I could see what you could. And I said, you know, mm. ye, not necessarily. <laughs> I was like, you know, they're not sweet. They're not cute. They're not little pretty things. I was like, these are powerful beings. These are beings that are essentially immortal and they don't think like humans do. And they're not little cute Tinkerbells. All right. They just are not little cute Tinkerbell creatures. When I saw that, I did not hear words in my head, but it was as if something hit me in my forehead. And I realized that they had heard me three days before Hmm. say what I had said. And the answer that I got was, we can be whatever we want to be. And it wasn't in words, but it was the feeling of it. And I, it, it was like being physically struck. And for a moment I could not move. All I could, all I knew is I was staring at something impossible that had read my mind and then was making sure that I understood that I didn't understand as much as I thought I did. And I could feel Dave's, you know, uh, hand about to break my wrist because he was just sitting there seeing the same exact thing. And 
then it it blinked off and flew away into the trees with the rest of the little lights and we just dashed through the house to the front yard and we're like what is happening and our friends were like hey what happened and we're like mm, nothing and we didn't talk about it for a year well yeah, I told that's, Jack, that's scary <laughs> it was but it's kind of like you you know it's like you had that same psychic thing it's like you were like well if you're out there come on and then, yeah. and then you were like oh oh <laughs> i was oh, kidding no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't now. really mean that. I was joking. <laughs> my bad. My bad. You can you can run off now, but that's they read your mind. Yeah, it was it was clear. I mean, I I've I went through all the, you know, trying to tease that apart. Like, was it just that I was I was psychic or and knew that that was gonna happen or did they sort of manipulate things? And if they did, you know, whatever they are then did they manipulate my dreams too you know or mm -hmm. or did mm -hmm. and or was it just a profound synchronicity of some sort and but it was just so multi-layered from me making that little face alien head in the sand weeks before the event and then stumbling on this like face in the sand that night in the dreams and yeah and so i i remember <laughs> now this I can date how long ago this was because I was on CompuServe, like dial up, like oh, CompuServe. Yeah. And I was on this UFO group and Whitley Strieber would sometimes pop in there. And I'll never forget, I, like I wrote the whole thing out and, you know, polished it and sent, you know, went over it and over it to refine the story and make sure I got it right. Sent it off to Whitley Strieber and he replied with just one sentence. And he said, maybe they wanted you to come out and play and mm. i just remember getting that like you're creepy whitley like i can tell you're a <laughs> horror writer because that is creepy as hell yeah uh, it's kind of accurate though i think maybe yeah, yeah. And, Ooh, but but right. i have i have to say mm. that i never did that experiment again um, I've thought about it when I've been like, you know, in kind of a remote sort of place. I spent a lot of time in West Virginia, which is maybe the, oh, one of the creepiest, yeah. creepiest states in, in, in the world, in the United States. Um, it is. And yep, yeah, and, you know. and I have felt like if I did that now, maybe it would work. And I'm just like, no, don't even think about it. Cause it's, it's still as much as I would think that I would like to, you know, manifest something or call something or whatever. It's, I don't want to do that, especially if I'm by myself. Um, I don't know if, if I really want to do that or not. And, you know, I read about these like, you know, CE five or close encounters of whatever these, you know, whatever it's called where people, people. Yeah, where people try to manifest things. And, um, and I have to, I have to say that's like I uh, a lot of people might dismiss that a lot of people that aren't weirdos like we are but that seems to make absolute sense to me uh because of my experience like if if you really want contact initiate contact like reach out because if my experience is any indication they're paying attention and sometimes they'll answer yeah from a folkloric perspective because i grew up um on fairy lore um 
And because I, I, I really like that you mentioned that there does seem to be a hereditary aspect <clears throat> because mom has seen things her whole life. My dad saw weird stuff his life, his whole life too. And so have my grandparents and my aunts and uncles, some of them. And it's just, I have no idea if my cousins have, um, we've never talked about it. But because I think mom grew up like that, she, you know, taught me the rules as a child. Mm -hmm. um, but from a folkloric perspective, these things are always around. And they're all either always listening or always interacting with us at some level. And I wonder if things like synchronicity aren't either the universal consciousness dropping breadcrumbs for us or a sort of way that they are reaching and interacting with us, but not in a very overt sort of way. And also, I don't know why synchronicities cluster or because you have psychicness do you sort of, can you tell when things are going to ha happen? Not just like normal precognition, but can you tell when there's about to be a cluster of synchronicities or things are about to get weird? It feels that way sometimes. Like I, there have been periods of synchronicity that are just uh, like, I, I just would throw up my hands and go, I can't believe it. it's this weird oddly enough, like the past few years have been like dry when it comes to synchronicity for me or any sort of weird stuff. Um, but I've also been pretty deeply enmeshed in the mundane reality of like working and raising kids and things like that. And, but, but there were times, especially like in my twenties where I, I, I started calling it a cascade of synchronicities where like, one would lead to another and just these just like waves uh, would happen. And I'm not sure if I, if I feel like that's due to some sort of beings manipulating it. It feels to me like it's just the reality has cycles or little like over like grooves on a record. And sometimes it gets stuck in a groove and, and things Patterns keep happening. That's probably not even a really good analogy there. But one, one of the weird, during my 20s, um, it, it was just over the top. The synchronicities were, I kept a diary, I still have my diary of synchronicities. And the weirdest aspect of all that, this may make people laugh, but one of the focuses of the synchronicity was sting from the police, right? Yes. And I, I liked the police. I, I, I thought Sting's music was kind of okay. Um, you know, so I was never like a, a huge fan or anything like that. But it was ridiculous. I, I started calling when I'd have a synchronicity related to Sting or the police. I called it being stung. <laughs> and, and pretty soon, like my, it started happening to my friends. And this wasn't even at a time where like the police were on the radio a lot or Sting was on the radio a lot. But for example, I'd, you know, one of those things where I'd get in the car, turn the key and 
the police or on the radio and a friend would be sitting there with me and they'd laugh. They stung again, you know, like instantly as soon as I turned the car on. But then I would drive to, let's say, a grocery store with the same friend. And this was witnessed by other people. Walk in the grocery store and there's a magazine rack and there's a magazine lying on the floor and it's open to a page with a picture of Sting on it. And then my friend goes, listen to what's playing. And it would be like Sting on the Muzak of the grocery store. So it's just the, so at one point, and, and I'm sure the guy, like I'm, he may have got a some sort of, you know, order, restraining order against me. I, I was so perplexed by these Sting synchronicities that I was going to write him like a letter or something and say, look, man, are you doing something? <laughs> are you projecting? Do you have some antenna? This I think he does. Because <laughs> I had one too. I think oh, he does. Wow. <laughs> I spoke to an FBI behaviorist about my stalker. Um, we had this conversation. We just met up in a random small town in Ohio to talk about it. And I get in my car and that song, I'll Be Watching You, was on the radio. I'm like, what is Ooh. happening? I think it's Sting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But between Sting and The Simpsons, like <laughs> The Simpsons, I, I again, I was going to write the to the writers and say, are you guys like doing some kind of weird psychic thing? Because it, it, quick example, because it's mind blowing, right? Um, I, I collect. I have one behind me on the shelf. These Olmec heads. They're these colossal heads from Mexico, right? So I collect them. I had just started a new job and I'm trying to make my cubicle kind of cool. I took my Olmec head in and sat it next to my computer. And one of my new coworkers comes by. She goes, Olmeca. And, she, and I was like, well, I don't know a lot of people that know Olmeca. She's like, yeah, I studied Mesoamerican art in college. I love it. That's, you know, so we had this long talk about the Olmecs. So I get home that evening, sitting there with my roommate. We turn on The Simpsons because we religiously used to watch The Simpsons. And it's an episode, something like where Bart's on a skateboard and Mr. Burns hits him with the car. So eventually at the end, Mr. Burns gives The Simpsons a gift to kind of make up for hitting Bart. And it's this giant, you know, like 15 foot high crate and they open it up and Lisa Simpson goes, an Olmec head. And it's a freaking Olmec head. Oh, wow. So, and but that, I swear, there are multiple Simpson synchronicities on that level that just boggled my mind. I mean, the weirdest out of left field stuff would happen to me. And then that night I'd sit down and the same thing would happen on the Simpsons. Like it was, and, and we all know about the Simpsons with its prediction of Donald Trump right. coming down the escalator. You know, that was like the mega, mega um, Simpsons synchronicity. But but it just, I mean, I don't know how to explain that. Like, that doesn't seem like, like fey beings, you know, kind of manipulating my reality. It just feels like reality is, is silly, you know, <laughs> and just throws this weird stuff at us sometimes. I don't know what you guys think of that, but um, it doesn't get weirder than the, the Simpsons being your and Sting being your synchronous prime synchronicity generators. 
Gloria Estefan followed me and my best friend around Miami a whole spring break once. Holy moly. Oh, yeah. In the flesh. Like, I'm following you no, around. not in the flesh. Oh, okay. In, okay. In, by, <laughs> via synchronicity. Oh, just, wild. And I know it's Miami and I know it's Gloria Estefan, <laughs> sure. but it would be grocery store, the place we were eating, she owned. You would go, we stopped at CVS because we needed sunscreen. And the first thing you see is her on a magazine. And it was, it was the same sort of thing. And we couldn't go anywhere without some Gloria Estefan somehow appearing in some yes. manner. She is the queen wow. of Miami. So, and she's I mean, the queen of Miami. So that might be why. But, but still, it was too ridiculous I remember when extent. that happened. <laughs> And and I have to say, like, the sting, I mean, the police had the album Synchronicity, too. So I I had to, like, think that maybe maybe he's doing some kind of weird magic or something. Um, I I know he was into, like, ayahuasca and stuff like that and obviously into Jung. So it wouldn't be surprising if somehow he, uh, you know, he dabbled or practiced some kind of occultism or something like that. And but used music to write in on it, too. Exactly. Music yeah. Art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see that. I could see that, too. Yeah. So sorry to go off on a tangent, but uh, oh, it's, no, we're the it's, tangents it's, all yeah. about tangents. <laughs> all right. I love I love you guys. It's um, yeah. it's it's still remains like, you know, I've had lots of weird stuff happened in my life, but those, the, those particular series of synchronicities just absolutely baffling. I mean, it, 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 if anything at all, it shows that the trickster has a sense of humor, I think more than anything yeah. else. There's one I've been thinking about actually over the last year, my daughter back in late February of last year, took a picture of the sky. It just looked really cool. He had this shelf of clouds and then it was perfectly clear and it was over this flat horizon. It was a really neat picture. And she said, mom, look, the, the veil is thinning. And I was, she said, it's just so beautiful. And I was like, that was unexpected from my then 12 year old. Hmm. And then two weeks later, COVID and then it's just oh, been wow. this year of loss for us. And it's just like, mm. what did you tap into and close <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, I think the omens were, were kind of heavy um, yeah. for a lot of people. I did. Yeah. I do. Um, I, I read tarot, um, but I also do geomancy readings. And I was doing geomancy readings for a couple of people. And in, in all of the readings, um, the the little image is is called carcer and it it what it means is it it's like a it means like imprisonment or jail and it, the the image it's made out of little six like dots but it looks like a walled off little prison cell or something like that and that kept coming up and i kept telling people like well you know maybe it looks like you're going to be on your own a lot or it looks like you know, I would tell them, try to socialize because what this means is like someone being isolated. And sometimes I forget when I tell people stuff in readings because I just go on and don't think about it. But they reminded me. This one woman I did a GMS reading for, she's like, do you realize you told me I'm going to be stuck at home all the time and alone and lonely? 
and you know it's uh it's kind of like the that that sort of anecdote of terror readers before 9-11 that the tower kept coming up a lot and things like that you know you heard readers saying wow i kept getting the tower i kept getting the tower all the time uh, i definitely i mean i i absolutely believe that things in the future ripple back and let us know that they're coming i mean that's i, I that i can't absolutely cannot deny that at all so i'm not surprised your daughter felt that that shift. Morgana and I felt it as just things were getting stranger. Hmm. Yeah. The, the fall of 2019, things were just getting weirder. Hmm. And we couldn't tell if it was just Athens because Athens has a weird energy and it, it's cyclical. So it'll chill out for a while and, kind of, nah, we're not going to be that weird. We'll just have a few strange things. And then all of a sudden it'll wake back up and then all of these strange things start happening. And it always seems to get weirder rolling up to Halloween. Which so makes rolling sense. Rolling up to mm -hmm. Samhain. Sure. Um, so at first we were kind of like, well, you know, we're heading towards the fall and heading towards Samhain. And then I started noticing, well, Morgana was like, hey, you know, get on Reddit and start reading the weirdo boards, you know, the weirdo subs, go read the weirdo subs. And we noticed that there started to be an uptick in like UFO sightings and creature sightings and people who had never seen anything in their lives were seeing weird stuff like, you know, the, the, Memsiguasi um, or the the um, other Native American little people. There was a, a man who was doing a uh, excavation, and there was a little man standing on top of a, a you know pile of dirt. And when he turned with his ex excavator, and there he was, and he shook his fist at the guy and was all kinds of angry, and you know jumped behind the dirt and disappeared and the guy was shook up he was really scared and in fact that's a large chunk of why i was like maybe we should do this podcast thing because you know and people were like oh well it was one of this it was that it was a, a gnome it's not gonna hurt you and i was like you probably dug up his house you know <laughs> so you're so helpful and comforting <laughs> and, and so i messaged him i'm like okay first off you will probably never see him again but if you're worried just get some loose tobacco and leave it and apologize mm -hmm. and he was like well these other people said it was it was the fairy folk i should give whiskey and i'm like mm -mm, mm, no um <laughs> If we were in Ireland, you'd be safe with that. It'd be cool. But that, no, leave, tr trust me on this, leave tobacco. I think you probably saw one of the Native American little people. They have lots of names. Each tribe in the woodlands has a different name for them. And sometimes they're nice and sometimes they're not. And he seemed a little bit upset with you. So maybe you should do this thing. And he was like, give him a present. I am. He was like, I am so scared. He's like, you know, everybody else was like, it's this, it's that. He was like, I don't know what to do. I've never seen anything like this. Is this going to happen again? And I'm like, I don't think it will. 
And he was like, well, you know, but you say you see things all the time. I'm like, there are people who that happens to, but if you start it happening, like, you know, you just had it happen and you didn't get struck by lightning. You didn't have an accident. You didn't hit your head. You're probably okay. <laughs> you know, I felt really bad for him. And so he did calm down, but you know, I did notice that there were a lot of people who were like him or were really scared because they had experienced something that they had never experienced. And I was like, well, and my happening. My friends started seeing things and the synchronicity. The reason I asked about clusters of synchronicities and if you had any feelings around them is at least for me and in my little bubble of strange. <sighs> When synchronicities start popping up more and more frequently, there's a tension that builds or feels like it builds. And usually it reaches a peak and then the tension dies off. But this, that year, it just, the tension kept building and building and building and building. And I started getting paranoid and worried. And I started telling mom, you know, I was having friends come to me saying flocks of birds are slamming into my house and weird stuff like that. And I was like, well, sometimes their magnetics get messed up. And they're like, no. And also bats are slamming into my house and weird stuff's happening. I'm like, oh, okay, that is unusual. And just things like that. And all of it culminated in the Christmas UFOs that we saw that we talked about in another episode. And I remember turning to mom and first we were like, oh, this is really cool. These were beautiful. We did all the things to make sure that there wasn't our eyes playing tricks on us and it wasn't. And I remember suddenly getting nervous and looking at mom and going, signs and importance. And yeah. she was like, yep. And I was like, do you, they show up before disasters, don't they? Like the Silver Bridge. And she's like, probably nothing's going to happen. And I'm like, uh, I hope not. And then, of course, COVID happened two months later. And I was like, do you think that's what it was? And I don't know if that's what it was, but there was a weird buildup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least here in Athens. And, and look, one of the things that, I find so fascinating is the uptick in UFO sightings in particular, and obviously all the media hubbub going on right now. But the fact that so many more people were just home, you know, and, mm -hmm. and had time to step outside and look up at the sky too. It seems like, well, of course they're going to start seeing more UFOs because they're not driving in their car right. angrily to work and driving home, picking up the kids and, Kids are fighting and, you know, it's it's like we were freed from all of this, this just kind of mundane stuff. And, and we, we were allowed to like be ourselves and have downtime and have quiet time. And, and, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, look at all the animals. Nature's coming back <laughs> and things, which which is, you know, kind of true because there weren't a lot of cars. Driving. But I think part of it is you're just seeing them because you're around, you know, you're. Yes, there are probably foxes running through your yard all the time, but how often do you just kind of stand there and look out the window um, in our in our busy lives and everything? But it's it definitely you know the, there was that joke of of 
like, oh, that's so 2020. You know, what what, <laughs> what else is going to happen? You know, is an <laughs> right? asteroid going to slam oh into the earth? Gosh. And I feel like this whole, this whole, you know, you know, what I call lower D disclosure thing that's kind of going on right now as, as far as UFOs is, is really just kind of an outgrowth of, of that weirdness. It feels like 2020 might not have been the weirdest year of all. I mean, this, you know, it, it might've been a prelude to something. I kind of hope not. Right. Um, yeah, but, I don't think there's enough wood in the world to knock on <laughs> for that. We, we need like, big no to do some wood knocks for us because man, we do need we do need we need all the bigfoots in the world all to please <laughs> knock on all the trees. Just right, so please. Yeah. Michael has just doomed us to twenty twenty one. The extended dance remix of terrible and strange. I mean, I had the weird thought being that I have dyslexia. I was like, well, what if the Mayan calendar was dyslexic? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What, or we read it wrong or something. Yeah. It's well, not 2012, it was 2021. Right. And th there was also oh, a, a, a Mayan scholar like five or six years ago, probably, who said, yeah, it is wrong. It's not 2012, it's 2020. It's 2020 yeah. when things are going to get weird. Um, who knows? Well, look yeah. at that. How yeah. <laughs> I mean, this year we've already had a, a re an uncontrolled re-entry rocket, which I didn't have on my 2020, 2021 bingo card. I didn't no, have rocket no. crashing into the earth. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that was, I, that was pretty weird. I stopped looking at the internet for five damn minutes, you know, and then Zach wanders in and goes, well, there's an uncontrolled re-entry of a Chinese rocket about to happen. I was like, "Where?" Well, we don't, we don't know, and uh, it could be anywhere. It, it's a. I, I just shook my head. I was like, "This is what happens when I don't look at the news." I can't even yeah. go five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I, I mean, a, a global pandemic of the likes that you know, we saw in movies and television shows, you know, I've always, I read The Stand when I was a kid. So I've all, I feel like I was already kind of prepped um, for, you know, and, you know, I was waiting for Mother Abigail to play her guitar and in my dreams, you know, hopefully you not the other guy in Las Vegas. You are so Gen X. It's like we were all totally prepared for all of this. <laughs> yeah, our yep. whole lives. This is everything's yep. going to be awful when you're an adult, like on a planetary level. Yep. So right. get to ready. whatever we were ready for. It. And I have to say, like I we, I was taking my wife to get her vaccination, and we wound up going to the wrong site, and it was one of those big outdoor vaccination sites and it was in like uh the eastern shore of maryland so like everyone on the entire eastern shore probably went to this one site there are cars lined up and national guard guys like waving you in and with you know little tablets and you went up and it just felt i'm like this is this is every post-apocalyptic like plague movie i've yeah. ever seen and it's happening Right now, this is this is what the movies showed yeah. that it looked like. So I feel like maybe on a collective level, we saw that that happened, and that was the most, you know, outlandish, science fictiony, post-apocalyptic thing we could imagine. So maybe we're all 
kind of softened up for more of that. And maybe that's why this everyone seems to be talking about UFOs right now as if they're nothing. And just, you know, and oh, yeah, of course, UFOs are real. Of course, the government knows about them. <laughs> right? I'm like, well, I guess, why not? You know, what's next? <laughs> they picked just, a great time yeah. to be yeah, like, yeah, UFOs yeah. are totally real because and nobody's maybe that's, just right. too busy. <laughs> right. Just and maybe that's why they did it. Other things. Maybe they thought, yeah. to hell with this, you know, we we it's a crazy global pandemic. Why not break the UFO stuff out now, too? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But. Yeah. Even Obama's talking about him. Like you right, said, yeah. pointed that out to me. I was like, Obama's doing what? Yeah, I do and, remember and, that he once said that, you know, the first thing he asked was, okay, yeah. where are the bodies? Where are the UFOs? Where's the, come on, tell me, tell me. And he didn't get any, any information. Um, yeah. I, I go back and forth on like what UFO, what I think they might be. I clearly believe that they're, there's some consciousness aspect to it. And they're too, it's a psychic, as Jacques, Jacques Vallée says yeah. in his recent book, they're technological, but they're also psychic. You know, there's a psychic aspect to them. So for the longest time, I was very much anti-extraterrestrial hypothesis. Like, don't even talk to me about that. It's silly. They can't be from outer space and blah, blah, blah. But my, I've been sort of mellowing in that respect because well first of all you know maybe it's not it's not extraterrestrial maybe it's ultra you know speaking of john keel ultra terrestrial or, or something along those lines but even if it is from space like if their technology is so advanced that it it's psychic or maybe they just have a psychic form of technology then they certainly could be from other planets or galaxies or whatever and it just seems limiting and i feel like for the longest time i was just shutting out the extraterrestrial hypothesis just because i didn't want to believe it and i was more focused on the psychic aspects and the the deeply weird you know high strangeness stuff but why not maybe they are extraterrestrial maybe there is room for for these things I just pushed aside, like the idea that maybe the government or there's some people within the government X files ish has the tech has found some of this technology or got their hands on it. It doesn't mean they know what to do with it, but maybe it is physical and psychic and maybe it is from uh, it. It's not us though. I mean, a lot of the talk in the past, the past few weeks, all this disclosure stuff, and actually the past year or so with the New York Times article and everything has been, they keep floating the idea that this could be Chinese or this could be, and it's its not, we know it's not. I mean, unless the technology has intense psychic effects and, and can outmaneuver everything in our the technology that we're aware of it's definitely not us i don't think um but but i'm 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 not as hostile towards extraterrestrial possibilities as i used to be i'm still extremely open and i i i would not say it is extraterrestrial and i think anyone who claims to know anything i i i just immediately back away from like 
there's you have to be agnostic i yeah i think you have to be agnostic you could acknowledge that that it is something that is probably not us but the minute someone says oh they're from the pleiades and they're here to do this or or that i i just tune them out i'm like you don't know that you know <laughs> like yeah. you might think you know that but you don't know that so and that's okay. where keel comes back in with belief is the enemy because exactly. that's not knowledge that's a belief it's belief it's yeah. belief system and, and that's that can be a prison yep yeah I don't have a problem with it being both and. I don't have a mm -hmm. problem with their alien and something else. I mean, there could be multiple explanations. I mean, I, I'm so... Razor doesn't have to apply its high strangeness. It doesn't. It, <laughs> it would be nice if it did. But it, it probably doesn't. <laughs> I I feel like it could very it could be multiple things it could be both it could be neither we don't right. know right uh, valet also to I mean one of my favorite ideas is the whole simulation hypothesis and he mentions that in his new book tr the new Trinity book and I don't think that's necessarily literally true but I think it's such a cool fitting model especially for the anomalous things is that you know it's uh, and the the whole glitch in the matrix thing is so overused like i don't like to use that but it, it feels to me more like the programmers are having a hell of a good time <laughs> like playing with us and and that makes sense so metaphorically maybe that's that's a way to look at this too as if reality somehow you know that 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 makes a lot of sense when it comes to synchronicities that it's it's part of the programming you know it's it's part of the 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 makeup the structure of reality that these that these things bump into each other and the consciousness is 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 the focus of, of all of it or our consciousness um but yeah i mean it that's that's about as as far out as I get, and I, I really don't believe we're in an actual literal simulation by any means. That seems way too, just too literal. Um, but as a metaphor, I think it makes, it makes a lot of sense. One of the things that fascinates me when talking about this is um, Starling Murmurations, where they oh, yeah. have done computer programs where they will get a grouping of these shapes and randomize what they do and they mimic murmurations. Mm -hmm. That blows my mind. The same weird wave patterns that I'm fascinated by that. And I don't, you know, it's one of those, where does it? Yeah. I just, I, where does that fit into all of it? Yeah, it's like there are patterns, um, deep, deep sort of patterns in reality. And sometimes right. they manifest so beautifully like that as a collective group conscience, consciousness of, mm -hmm. of separate organisms. Yeah, yes. that, that they, they blow me away too. I mean, there's yeah. nothing more astounding than watching and realizing that, that there's like a hive mind going on there. The way right. they... They're all working together and making this beautiful pattern. Um, 
yeah. out of their consciousness. Right. Yeah, it's just, I love the, the murmur. Yeah. But I, like I said, what, what's interesting is, is putting an in with a computer program. It makes me, you know, it's like, we're all, it's all like electricity to me. There's all, mm -hmm. it's all wavelength. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that, I wonder if that, like how that fits trying to figure out how to say it, how that all fits together. Mm -hmm. I, I completely see where you're coming yeah. from on that. It's, it's the patterns that are embedded in, in our reality yeah. and how yeah. they manifest. Yeah. To, makes total sense. And electromagnetic energy is part and parcel yeah. of us as life forms. You know, sure. the, the signals that go between the mm -hmm. cells in our brain are electrical mm -hmm. signals. We mm -hmm. are electrical beings. Um, and some of us are more electrical than others. And I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it, it sure does play hell on uh, phones and, and computers, <laughs> and things <laughs> like that, light bulbs. Um, but yeah, uh, you, so you've, you've had that kind of, um electromagnetic stuff happening yeah she kills things yeah <laughs> she fries things Con yeah. yeah no she My cars are okay she, they they generally live until i give them to you then you drown them, yes but. i drowned one car <laughs> once you never well, that's all it takes you're forever the car <laughs> drowner right <laughs> but yeah i do i do destroy um electronic stuff i can't wear a watch whether it's mechanical or um digital hmm. so I, I i destroy things i don't mean to and now that i've had a lot of therapy i'm not as likely to um i had a friend once describe me as you appear to be such a nice person and and you are generally kind and compassionate but you have a well in your center of deep rage that just lives there and it's like a caldera of lava and it's there and you've got to do something about that because <laughs> that's eventually going to kill you yeah and it wasn't until i started having therapy that i realized that a lot of the destructive energy that would you know happen around me poltergeist activity and stuff that was me. And I was like, oh, it's all of that that caldera down in there and my gut that maybe we should do something about. So how many years has it been? Like eight, nine years now? So it's mostly calmed down. But, you know, about a year and a half ago, I lost a, a laptop because of a lightning strike while I was mm -hmm. holding it. I was fine. That's the other thing, lightning Thanks. strikes near her way more oh, than my. it should. Wow. Yeah. And it and, and I lean on electric fences at heart level and don't even realize what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't die. My friend so you've, is, you've got mutant superpowers. That is my she does. <laughs> she does. Aside from being able to see the beings that other people can't see, you've also got super electrical mutant powers. That's yeah, that's pretty good. They're not very controllable. That's the problem. <laughs> that's how I feel about my psychic dreams, you know, that come true. It's like, it's never useful. 
Um, yeah, I wish I wish that kind of thing could be more useful. I've never had electrical phenomenon at all, except when I first started practicing magic, and I would always do my practice in the basement of a, my previous house, and it was like a long row house. It was a really long basement, and I was doing like golden dawn magic, um, and I was like fascinated by. You know, I was deeply, I've kind, of, I've kind of left that behind. That's a whole long story. But when, and only when I would be doing that magic, the lights would go off sometimes, just go off. And it was an old house and the electricity was not great. The wiring was really old, but it never, ever did that. The only times it ever did that was when I was actually doing, you know, the middle pillar exercise or something like that. And it really started to freak me out, you know, particularly when I'm in the midst of some visualization and I'm doing some kind of ritual and suddenly I'm in the dark, you know, <laughs> pitch black. And I'm like, oh, crap. Maybe I should have lit a candle or something. <laughs> um, but so that I, I completely and I've heard so many stories of people with, who have that sort of effect on on stuff you know watches and tvs and computers and all that sort of thing um, one of my previous bosses his wife would just kill computers and and phones and everything just not doing anything destructive to them but he'd be he'd come up to me hey we had to can you try to fix her laptop and i'd try to fix it like i have no idea what's going on with this and eventually she'd get another laptop or phone or whatever so she she sure had that reputation too yeah. Mine is whenever we watch scary movies, our fire, <laughs> uh, our smoke alarms go off. Yikes. Like to the point where now when my boyfriend and I are about to watch a movie, he looks at me and he goes, when are the fire alarms going to go off this time, babes? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. It. I don't know why it happens. He's like, well, it's going to go off. It's going to happen when you're particularly freaked out. You're going to scream. I'm going to scream. We're going to have to go upstairs and find out why. And now he's just like, go tell the ghost to stop. <laughs> just whatever's doing it, just pause the movie, Morgana. Go tell the ghost to quit it. Take cut the it battery out. out when you watch horror movies. Oh, right? I, that's what I keep saying. But then I'm like, what if they go off anyway? Right. True. Yeah. Yeah. Then then, <laughs> then I'm gonna get a phone call, Mom. <laughs> so I we haven't done that. He's threatened to do it. Um, and I honestly, maybe we should make that experiment the next time we do it well. because. That is weird. It's constant. That's truly weird. And then the three of us will have weird electrical things happen, and it's like they catch. Like, Kendra mm -hmm. will be having something going on with her TV going on and off for yeah. no reason. And then my alarm system will go off, and then Morgana's fire alarm will act up. And Thanks. it'll go in a, this weird circle. And that's like, we don't, okay, Morgana and I live in the same town, but Kendra is like two counties, three counties away. Mm -hmm. We we have no excuse for that, except we're connected. So, yeah. Strange. Yes. That's why, I, that's why I like y'all, because you're strange. <laughs> <laughs> we are weird. We are, we are strange. We are kind of the weird sisters, but not quite. No, not quite. Almost. 
I can't quote that whole speech anymore. I used to be able to quote most of the when shall we three meet again speech, but that was in high school. Mm -hmm. I was that kid. I was that goth kid. <laughs> this is not surprising to anybody who's ever met me or probably has listened to this podcast. No. Not surprising to me either. Nope. Nope. Not at all. So you mentioned Valet's book. Mm -hmm. Um I have you finished it? I did. Yep. Yes, finished so did it. I. Finished it in two sittings. So Yeah, we I think we read it about the same rate because when when you posted that you were halfway through I was like, yeah, that's about where I am, you know, give or take a few, you know, tens of pages in either direction. Um, and I, I was, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, well, I was a little, right. I won't spoil anything. I was a little concerned going into it because the, especially because um, the way he changed the title and the book was pulled from Amazon. Of course, all the, you know, conspiracy minded people were like, oh, they're, they don't want him revealing the truth. Um, but he, it, it seems to me that what it looks like is that uh, Paula Harris maybe wanted to get the credit that she deserved for doing a lot of the groundwork in the book and liter literally on the ground doing the interviews. So that's that's what it seemed like to me because she really was uh, she she interviewed uh, the the two men um, and later someone else um, the niece um, of Jose Padilla. So I was a little I was a little hesitant and also it looks like the cover was kind of thrown together real quickly. It looks like something I might have designed in like PageMaker 1.0 back in. 1990 or something. It just looks kind of shoddy. So I was really concerned um, that maybe Valet had thrown himself in with uh, some less than, you know, honorable folks or maybe less reputable people. Paula Harris, I didn't know much about her, but I saw she was associated with Stephen Greer, which raised mm -hmm. some red flags, things like yeah. that. But overall, I liked the book. I, it's, it's the typical Jacques Valet. And he doesn't come to any strong conclusions about anything. He's very um, open-minded, but but appropriately skeptical about this case. The fact that it's about two, the, the, the people who were interviewed were children when this happened. One was nine, I think one was seven, really made a lot of people wonder about why they're writing this book, because we all know children can make up things and misremember things as can adults. But these kids saw something really weird and something that would have left an impression on them. And, and so I kind of believe they're telling the truth. The other part of the book, I mean, the book is named Trinity because this happened right after a, the first nuclear explosion, the very first nuclear bomb. And and we all know that UFOs have always been associated with nukes and nuclear sites and 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 appearing over nuclear test places and and where missiles are kept, missile silos and things like that. So 
and this this case also took place before Roswell. So you could think whatever you want about the mess that is Roswell. But this is pre-Kenneth Arnold. And these two men claim that they saw these little creatures that look like the standard grays, skinny, big head, big eyes, that sort of thing. And the way they were moving, um, the Jose Padilla describes them as sort of like they could will themselves to where they wanted to be, like kind of gliding or just kind of, you know, you can only, you can see that image when you're reading it, like how they would just kind of zip to one location, then zip to another. So for me, um, I, I found it a really interesting case. If if it is exactly the way it's presented by these two men, then it's profoundly important in in UFO history. I also like that Valet and the conclusion of the book, I thought that was, I wasn't expecting that, where he starts talking about um, what the government may know, um, what what disclosure would or could be, and various people within the military and the corporate world who have talked about UFOs. So it seems very timely. I also think he probably wanted it to get out now because of all the other stuff that's going on with like Lou Elizondo and, and that whole crew, uh, the ATIP refugees or whatever program is left. Um, so there's, there's so much going on. It, I feel like all these people talk to each other and, uh, and they're putting the full court press on for UFOs right now, whether or not they're being honest with us. I'm not sure this report in June is going to move the needle that much, this government report that's coming out. Um, but who knows? It's, it's, we go through this, and we've been through this many times in my lifetime at least, where UFOs are hot. Like back in the 90s, the abduction stuff, it was on regular TV, you know. Um, and then it went quiet again. And now it's back again. But but we've never before had a you know a former president go on a late night TV show and and say these things are we don't know what they are but there is something to this like that's that's never happened so I get a lot of pushback among my UFO friend colleagues who are just so cynical at this point like we've seen this all before nothing's going to come out of this just really cynical and understandably cynical because we have been burned so many times. Something feels oh, yeah. a little bit, something feels a little bit different this time though. Um, it feels a little bit more orchestrated at a higher level and at a broader messaging standpoint. Like, like the memo went out and the memo said, okay, it's okay to talk about this. It's okay to, you know, just drip some of this stuff out and we'll see where it goes from there. Now what they're going to do, they could just clam up again. And ultimately I think maybe the government knows as little as we do. Um, they might have some more stuff that they found and gotten their hands on, but I don't know if they, I, I, I would be surprised if they know what the phenomenon is, the, the, what the, what the real consciousness, what the real intelligence behind it all is. But something's changed. Something's yeah, changed. I, I would be absolutely gobsmacked if they knew a damn thing, really. 
um, <laughs> about the the whole intelligence behind it. I I they're more interested in the physical aspects of it. Um, and from what Dr. Valet has said in the past about some of the metamaterials, I mean, because he's written papers about it and he's talked on, um, on documentaries and, and other places and he's released some of this information and he has pieces of metal that the isotopes just don't exist in this way on earth. Like we on earth can't make those isotopes do that. Um, and so what does that mean? You know, it, it, I would be surprised if, if I wouldn't be surprised if they had a down saucer, I, that mm -hmm. doesn't surprise me at all. Because mm -hmm. if something falls down, you should probably drag it away and hide it from people because we just don't want that getting out. But would they have gotten anything useful from that? I don't know. I, I don't know I either. Know. Maybe memory metal, but that mm -hmm. even that there was already experiments going on to create that. So I don't know. I yeah. don't think so. But the people who believe cell phones came from UFOs and stuff, I, I just, I kind of want to smack them. <laughs> just because, yeah, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I think, I think Valet does a good job in the book saying that a lot of, you know, we can go back to like Phil Corso's book where he was saying everything, you know, transistors and Velcro and, and oh, I remember you name Velcro. It. You remember great. Velcro? Yeah, that yeah. was big. I forgot that was, about that. That was big. That was kind of like the strawberry ice cream that they said the aliens. That was their favorite, Morgan, favorite treat. Morgan, do you treat. remember when I told you that, <laughs> that the Velcro on your shoes came from the aliens? Do you remember me telling yes, you that? Yes, I do remember it. you telling me the aliens made Velcro. Yeah. It's pretty weird stuff. I mean, um, but yeah, it, who knows? I, 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 I agree. I suspect that if anything... What, what the the people who like, uh, you know, the the defense people and things like that, military, they're interested in stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I and that's why all these stories we used to hear about. Oh, at Area Fifty One, there's or Dulce Base. There's you know there was a war and the EB survived and told us all about his planet and all that kind of garbage. Just felt like garbage. Um, you know, my BS sensor just shot into the red and you have to have a pretty decent BS sensor to make it out with your, with your brain intact in this particular subject. So I feel like I've, I've, I've kind of made it out without getting sucked into some really terrible, terrible sort of beliefs, but that stuff never really resonated. And we don't know. I mean, we could speculate for for hours and hours and hours about what 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 the government has what they don't i like the way the valet says is is that they control the narrative you know and they can decide to feed us bs like they did with paul benowitz they can they can maybe tell us some truthful things but it, it's in their it's in their court right now but it does feel like the needle's gone a little bit 
in the direction of what, you know, lower D disclosure. I don't think capital D disclosure is coming, but it's, it's, it's cool to me that people are talking about UFOs again and not in a way that is a knee jerk, reflexively ridicule like it always was. And you know, this Barbara, Kendra, and Morgana too, whenever you would see a story, maybe like here's they, you know, a local newscaster would start off serious and then they'd have to throw the giggle in at the end. Yeah. Always yeah. the giggle, always the always. laugh, always the silly, you know, like three or four seconds from a 1950s sci-fi movie about aliens or something. But that's yeah. not happening now. And for and for Obama, for, for all my cynical UFO compadres out there who just laugh off anything and say it's all it's all pointless don't get your hopes up it's pretty it's pretty interesting that the former president is essentially saying that these things are real not what they are but there's something out there that's not us and if you look at his words that's pretty that's clearly pretty what he's saying yeah. yeah he's leaning in the direction of these aren't ours as in humans um and they always have to throw in, well, it could be China, it could be this, it could be that. Yeah. They're, I think they're not, they know they're, it's not. Yeah, I, I, I feel like they know it's not, and they're beginning to say that it's not. Guardedly. And yeah. maybe they could yank that rug out from under us tomorrow. But it feels different. It feels like there's a, there's a perceptible shift. Yeah, in uh, the, uh, the film phenomena the phenomena um when you have don't sing the song i see you i see you over there that was funny um there there it is all right uh, <laughs> anyway in that film when you have a meeting of government people from russia and china and European nations and America and Canada and all of us say, oh, yeah, we've had these these lights, these flying objects near our nuclear facilities. It's happened to all of them. It's none of I, I mean, what are we lobbing this crap at each other? I, that doesn't make any sense. And yeah, I guess it could be disinfo. It could be. But it seems to me more honestly there are scientists who are going it's happening to you well it's happening to us what about them is it happening it's happening to them what the hell is happening to everybody why is this and that's one of the cool things about valet's newest book is he gives us at least a thread to pull and maybe come closer to an answer as to why they are yeah. so concerned with mm -hmm. you know nukes I mean, yeah. we should all be concerned about news. We should, right. right. And and the fact that this phenomenon seems to be linked to our use, you know, when did they start? When did they, I was going to go into the song again. I can, I just, I can feel it coming. I'm trying so <laughs> but the, hard. It's so, the fact that it's so linked to, to nuke, nukes and, and nuclear power. And that's been like a common thread even in science fiction and, yeah, and, yeah. and we know how science fiction is always kind of just mixed in wrap and mixed in with it. Yeah. That, that, I mean, even their day, the earth stood still, they, they came to tell us to 
stop stop or, 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 stop killing each other you know stop yeah. don't blow up your planet <laughs> so it's 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 almost um you know it's it's like a trope but maybe there's something to the trope and if this story that valet writes about is true and this object crashed or was was purposely crashed right after the first nuclear test that really could change things now that's the, if we pull on that string, you know, like you said, the, in particular. The, you know, when we talk about the day the earth stood still, don't blow your planet up. Um, and, and it's the, it's the things that the greys are known for telling the people they abduct. It's like, well. And since before the greys. I was, mm -hmm. I was getting there. Yeah. Yep. Before yep. that, uh, Our Lady of Fatima tells the children there's going to be a great war coming mm -hmm. and you need to pray. We, you need to pray for peace. And, and that was long before we had nukes, yep. but she predicted the first world war mm -hmm. and it was pretty bad until the next round with the second world war. <laughs> we had to do better um, or worse. Um, and so the, these visitations have been saying the same basic thing. They just change their shapes. Mm -hmm. And you look at how many contactees were told, we're here to help you. You need to stop. You need to end your nuclear program. You need peace, world peace. And so many abductees, contactees, experiencers shown images of planets, the planet Earth blowing up. I think Whitley Strieber talked about that at one point, Betty Andreasen, I think. So this is a it's a it's a common motif. It's it's there. And I think a lot of us tend to discount it because we're like, oh, that's just silly old contactee stuff and it's just such a well-worn trope but maybe there's a reason that it is it is such a a common trope maybe they if if they really care about us and who knows if they do or not maybe they do maybe that's why they maybe that's why they hang out and i think that's kind of what valet posits it's not really a spoiler i don't think to say it but that that the fact that this thing landed or crashed or, or whatever right after that bomb went off is is to make us think you know that maybe it's it's like here here's some here's an existential question for you if there's life elsewhere um and this universe is full of life do you guys really want to blow yourselves up yeah. Um, you're so close the, the, don't screw it up right you're so close exactly perfectly said yeah and and then cynical me comes out with or they're trying to save their own ecosystem because they live here <laughs> right. with us and have been here right. with us since the right. beginning yep. and they're protecting their own resources yeah mm -hmm. because if we blow up I mean, you know when people talk about oh climate change or or nuclear weapons save the earth um and and valet says he said that he didn't say it in the book i don't think but he said it when he was on fade to black uh, which i listened to so y'all didn't have to um <laughs> he said you know we're we don't want to we if we blow up the planet if we destroy everything 
the earth will be fine. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, it hasn't been working to tell people, hey, save the save the earth. We need to save ourselves because what will happen is the earth will adapt and there will be new life forms that evolve mm-hmm. and arise. Yep. Absolutely. And I've been saying this for years. Maybe they'll listen to him. They, they sure as heck haven't listened to him. <laughs> She's me. such a comforting parent. I am. <laughs> well, you know, you're the one who's like, Mommy, what's an ICBM? And I had to explain. I, I know. That. I know. Okay. Well, we all know that the apes are going to take over anyway. So, you know. Well, exactly. I mean, ultimately. <laughs> Having owned ferrets, I'm betting on the weasels. The weasel, the muscled family is going to be the next king of the planet. Have you seen a honey badger go after a lion? Like, they've got this. They have moxie. Planet of the weasels. That's the new franchise, right? Well, that'd be pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's I, I, I felt the same. The other thing that's always intrigued me is how many um, experiencers have like a change of mindset when it comes to ecology and animals and other life and things like that has always has always fascinated me. And I mean, I'm kind of that way myself. Um, I, you know, I, I. I don't know if it's because of my strange experiences or anything like that, but I've always felt a kinship to like other forms of consciousness and even plants and things like that. Um, So I've, you know, I've tried to steer my life in that direction of doing as little harm as possible to other, other beings and things like that. So, so that always resonated with me. Like, uh, and I, same with near death experiencers. I mean, the overlap between near death experiencers and, and and contactee abductee experiencer types is fascinating it's like and that that contact with the other widens your perception of of everything else of of other consciousness too it might go ahead a contact like that your sense of reality is shifted completely because suddenly the things that you've never seen are real and you have no choice but to accept that. Yeah. You, you can't stick to mainstream yeah, <laughs> mundane reality. All it takes is one experience, like the little fairy floating in front of you and you're, you know, your guitar player getting ready to break your arm or, <laughs> uh, or I mean, it, it just takes one, one yeah. thing to, to break that, that consensus reality thing. But people are amazingly able to forget things too, strangely. Um, There's an experience that Kendra and I are going to do a show together about. Uh, It it happened at our graduation party and there were 12 people there. And I've spoken with, one of them has passed on. That would be the one who nearly broke my wrist. Um, but we were all there. We all experienced diff- slightly different things. Like my husband didn't see anything, but he hardly ever sees anything. Right. He hears things, he feels things, but he doesn't generally see things. And when he does see things, he does not generally like it, and he will sometimes forget them. 
and you have to jog his memory. But I was speaking with some of the other people who were there for that party, and a lot of people just let go of the memories somehow. Mm-hmm. And it just eased out of them. And, you know, of course, I'm like, why did I latch onto it so hard? And Kendra said, you've had practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That like, makes oh, total sense. Yeah. I have had practice. Um, and there's a, you, you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that this, this analogy just struck me um, a few days ago when I was reading through, rereading a book by Ramsey Dukes, who's like a magic, chaos magic guy. Brilliant. I'm one of the best theoreticians of magic that I know of. And his analogy made so, it was so absolutely perfect. He's like, and it kind of goes with that simulation idea, is that the universe has a self-correcting mechanism within it. So when something weird that sort of breaks consensus reality happens, it tries to wipe it away. Mm. And and the the this example he used is like say you have an encounter with that fairy thing or or, or whatever it is. If you then try to document it if you try to go to the media about it or a ufo sighting or a ghost sighting the more you try to kind of box it in the more that self-correcting mechanism wipes it away and i think it's the same way with people's experiences too like you it's so weird that it's easier to forget about it or maybe there's a mechanism kind of like a mechanism for trauma where we we decide to bury something or just completely push it out of our out of our consciousness and but the idea that self-correcting mechanism as a part of paranormal or anomalous experiences really like made sense like the more you try to put it in a box and get people to pay attention to it or and I think that's why a lot of um, psychics maybe start faking it after a while. Like they get too much attention. It also kind of aligns with George Hansen's idea, the trickster and the liminality of the trickster too, that that it needs to be in the shadows a little bit. It needs to it needs to pull away. Like the more we try to shine a spotlight on it, the more it, it just goes away. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does. It's always hiding. You know, it, it, the the more we try to like pin it down, the the, the farther away it, it 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 goes. Yeah, I think that's a a, a good way to see it, and it kind of goes with what Kendra was saying before we started recording about her Mothman sighting. Yeah, hmm. I just put it in a box and moved on because it was so far outside of what should be that I just was like all right, this is my reality now. Next. <laughs> Just kind of went with life and never, never really spoke. I did not speak about it, speak about it at all until okay. 20, about 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. So many people do that. That's why I always like talking about my weird experiences and listening to others is when I, whenever I do a talk, people come up to you afterwards and inevitably someone says, I've never told anybody this before, but yeah. And then they just launch into it and 
And that's that's why I think it's important to talk about this stuff because so many people are afraid, you know, they're afraid of being made fun of or no one's going to believe them or they're just maybe afraid to even confront it themselves. Like, you know, they put it in that box and and move on and it takes a, some kind of trigger that makes them feel okay to 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 bring it out in the open. Well, and trauma like that is its own isolation. Because you, you do, hmm. you put yourself in this little box where you examine your feelings and what happened for a lot of people. You examine what happened and you need time to process that before you let anybody else from the outside look in and judge. Because they're going to judge, especially something like that. You're going to hmm. self-judge, but then you're going to have somebody else judging. And then that just it puts it in a whole different place in your life. And it goes from an experience, a traumatic experience to now something that you have to carry with you with ridicule. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I think having more people, part of the reason I started talking about my experience was because I think it's important to form a community around this. So people know this does happen at the time. I was just working at the civilian conservation Corps, living my life. And this happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, other people, you're just, driving to work you're just doing your thing you don't consider yourself anything other than average for some your know, experiences like this and the average doesn't experience this but does it and the average thing to do is just not talk about it mm. yep which is why i believe that the kids saw what they saw in valet's newest book because they were told not to talk about it. Everybody had that veil of secrecy around the Trinity site mm -hmm. because it was essentially beaten into you. So they didn't talk about it. Yep. You know, there's a, and I hadn't thought about this case for years, but my mom, there was, well, my dad has seen um, UFOs several times. Once was when he was in the Navy, and then he saw a lot of them when he worked up at Union Carbide's Technical Center, which was up on a hill that overlooked uh, Charleston and South Charleston. And the air was, you know, fairly clear, and, and he worked overnight shifts all the time. So he was really, he knew what the sky looked like, you know, and uh, he saw some stuff that was doing things in the sky that just should not be doing it. And so one night, Zach and I had come to pick Morgana up um, from my parents' house. Uh, her dad was going to bring her the next day. So that evening we were talking and somehow we got on the topic of UFOs. I don't know if we had watched an unsolved mystery that had UFOs on it or, you know, dad was like, I tried to watch the X-Files, but I just, I don't know. I just didn't like it. It I, could have been the History Channel. He loved the History Channel yeah, so much. It and it was right around there when the History Channel started mm -hmm. going into aliens hard. Mm -hmm. That could have been. It could have been ancient aliens. It could have been something like that. Um, but he was like, he told the story uh, that uh, that happened in the Navy. And he, I had only heard it like three times. You know, and uh, so it was really cool to hear it. And he told it in front of Zach, which I was really shocked about. So he told that. And then he told a couple of the stories of the things he had seen 
um, at work. And then I said, well, do you remember the, the thing that you and I stood in the, the light we saw standing out in the yard? And he was like, what light? And I said, it, it was changing from blue to white to red. And it was just hovering in the sky until it started zigzagging and then zipped off. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, <laughs> we stood there. He said, I'd forgotten that. He said, but we stood there forever. And then my mom busts in with, and you didn't even go in the house and call me. I didn't get to see anything because you don't share anything with me, you know? And I, so we were talking about that. And then mom said, I've seen things too. And, and so she told a couple of things, but what wow. she told was a friend of hers. And she got really quiet when she told this one, which is how I know that it had bothered her because it bothered her friend. So this was in 1958 or 59. And her friend and his dad were driving home from Charleston up, it's called Big Tyler Mountain Road. And that road is twisty, tur curvy, turny, horrible, bumpy, uppy, downy. And back then in the 50s, it was even worse. And they rounded a corner and it was late at night. It was like midnight. And they rounded a corner and his dad slammed on the brakes because in the headlights, you could see that there was something that was oval, kind of egg-shaped, kind of a light gray, standing on three or four legs. I can't remember which. I think no. it was three in the middle of the road. And there were creatures, humanoid creatures, scurrying around, as my mother said, fiddling with something. That's how she put mm. it. They were fiddling mm -hmm. with something on the thing. And the the engine stopped. The engine stalled. Jeez. The lights it sounds went like out. Lonnie Zamora. I mean, it's total, yes, a total it Lonnie does. Zamora case. Wow. The lights went out. The radio stopped. Mm -hmm. And mom said, my friend told me that his dad just sat there gripping the steering wheel and staring straight ahead. And the little creatures at this point, the only light, there were no lights on this thing. Hmm. So it didn't glow. There were no lights. The only way you could see it was from the moonlight at that point, because of course the headlights had gone out. Mm -hmm. She said, my friend said, she said he got really quiet and he said they went back in the thing. And she said, Oh, was there a door? You didn't say there was a door. He said, no, there wasn't a door. They went back in the thing. And she said, well, then, yeah, it's my mom. She's like completely literal and mm -hmm. <laughs> stubborn as hell. She's like, well, how the hell did they do that? He's like, I don't know, Judy. They just went in the thing. I, they just were there and then gone. And then it flew away. And she was like, well, was there fire? You know, because she's thinking rocket. She was like, was sure. there fire? And right. he was like, no. And it didn't make any noise. And she's like, oh, you know, but he was like, you've got to believe me because I can't tell anybody else. And she's like, oh, I believe you. I believe you. Because she said he was so upset about it mm -hmm. that clearly something had happened to him. And she said, so it flew away. And I said, well, what did they do then? She said, well, his dad was still just gripping the steering wheel and staring. He, she said, so my friend reached over and turned the car back on. And the headlights came on and, and the radio and his 
and he kind of grabbed his dad by the arm and was like, dad, dad, dad. And he sort of shook himself and looked at him and said, we got to get home. And he just tore ass out of there, just, you know, squealing tires, driving completely insane at, at an insane speed for that road all the way home. And the only thing he said to his son when they got home, he like turned off the car. He just looked at him and said, don't tell your mother. Don't tell anyone. And he was like, dad, well, we have to, we have to tell the airport. We got to call the airport. We got to call the national guard. And he's like, no, do you want to get sent to the nut house? That's how you get sent to the nut house. Mm -hmm. Never talk about it again. So then he had told my mom. And as far as she knew, that was the only person that she was the only person who had ever been told that. And she only told me that that one time, but to me, that is the kind of thing, you know, when at that time, if you had a serious fear of being put away for what mm-hmm. you saw, for talking about it, you would keep quiet as the grave. Yeah. And, but you're right. I've been shocked because I've always been open to talking about weird stuff, you know, at a party or whatever. I'll, I, whatever, you know, that's, that's who I am. That's what I like to talk about. Sometimes people will walk away and go, Oh my God, what's wrong? What's wrong with that guy? But more <laughs> often than not, the people you think would not have a, a story, have a story. And it's sometimes it's just jaw dropping. Like when, when I had that sighting, I mentioned earlier in ocean city, Maryland, I drove home and my girlfriend's father was like, military guy salt of the earth like no bs and we we couldn't help it we're like you would not believe we saw these two lights and we went through the whole story and he goes and he just started laughing and he goes yeah when i was a kid my friend and i saw this like silver saucer thing fly over a field i think it was in indiana and he goes and it was even written up in the paper they quoted us in the paper and my jaw was just hanging open yeah because you and you, you'll even talk to people sometimes and they'll say, oh, I've never, I've never seen a UFO or I've never, but man, I saw this ghost one time. Yeah. I mean, my, my wife, who is the, you know, very empirical, skeptical person, she always thought like my interest in UFOs was kind of half baked, but she saw a ghost in a house she stayed in with her friend and told her friend about it. And her friend's like, yeah, I saw that guy too. I saw him in my room last night. And so you, I feel like so many of us have had anomalous, weird stuff happen. And like, like, like you were saying, Kendra, we sort of could put it in the box and compartmentalize it. All it takes is someone saying, has anything weird ever happened to you? Yeah, and they and open tell up. Your story first, right? And that's right. the easiest way to do it is because some this weird thing happened to me. Exactly. I am of the opinion, and it is an opinion. I am of the opinion that the majority of people have seen something weird. They just don't talk about it, or mm-hmm. they don't realize it was weird until later. Because every single time I've talked about something weird with a group of people, everybody starts to, it goes one person to the other. They're like, well, I saw Mm -hmm. this weird thing in the sky. I saw Mm -hmm. a ghost. I had this dream that came true. 
you know, I heard this music coming out of a place that there shouldn't have been music. You know, everybody, you know, they saw one of their toys walk across the floor as a kid mm -hmm. is one of my high school friends told me about that. Yeah. I had a girlfriend right. who claimed she and her sisters could fly. They used right. to float around the room and, and I thought, geez, that's like, sounds like Peter Pan or something. But when I've mentioned that story to other people, they've been like, oh yeah, I could, I could fly. I used to be able to float around when I was a kid and stuff like that. And just, you just open, you open up the conversation and you, you just find yourself shocked yeah. at how many people have something. You know, they've got that one story and they exactly. might they might come across as absolute skeptics about everything. They might not believe, you know, quote in anything. But as soon as you get them to tell that story, you realize and it makes me feel like it's like baked into who we are that we that we experience these things. And even if you say like, oh, well, let's let's imagine that 80 percent of those people somehow, you know, quote, imagined it or misinterpreted something that still leaves a lot. And mm -hmm. it also shows that, that somehow we we're made to have, to believe that we're having those experiences right. at least right. no matter how reductionist we are, no matter how we poo poo all that stuff. We've got some, like most people have something. They got that one story yeah. inside. So true. Yep. That's why we're here. <laughs> it's why we're doing this crazy thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, every now and then when I'm in the middle of editing, I'm like, why in the God's name did I have this idea? It was a dumb idea. Why did I do Oh my God. Why did I do this? You know, the, the one episode that's in 45 pieces because of solar storms is Oof. one of those moments where I'm like, why did I, why did I think this was good? So Yeah. <laughs> Well, that I'm, I'm glad you did. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. <laughs> I'm glad you do it. I'm glad to see more openness, more smart people talking about things where it's you know it's not just the run of the mill, going into a haunted house and trying to get scared of a of a door slamming or something while like yelling. that while yelling. Right, that kind of thing. There's there's such a there's so much of that kind of pedestrian level paranormal stuff. And it's fun. It's entertainment and people love it and they eat it up. But to get to get like into the deep, the roots of this stuff and into the complicated aspects of it, uh, that uh, I'm so happy to see you doing this. I'm so happy to see that podcast in particular, it seems like there's there's just a renaissance of smart people talking about weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, we're talking about weird stuff in an intelligent and intelligible you, fashion. You most definitely we try. are. You most I hope so. Are. <laughs> it doesn't Thank feel you. like it sometimes. Not at three in the morning when you're like, did uh, I no. take notes on this subject yet? <laughs> did no, I read it's... that book? I don't know if I read that book. <laughs> oh, crap. Didn't, I don't think I did. Well, I think we've been going on for over an wow. hour. Wow. Holy Oh, crap i didn't yeah. realize i just looked at the clock yeah, yeah. So. missing time <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was uh, 
That's how we'll explain it. When right. The, There'll just know, be a blank is... space on the tape when you when you get to it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, That's when no, no. This this is great. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's a well, it's a really it's a really great way to to spend a night. Um, well, thank you. And it's also nice to to ha to ha like be on a show with a group of women for a change instead of just the same dudes all the time. So that's, <laughs> well, thank um, you. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a nice. It's a really nice development and a good change of pace. So many of these shows are just the same dudes saying the same things all all the time. That uh, that this is really great. That's why I was looking forward to being being on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I think that's probably it. Yeah, my brain is pretty. I know. Pretty tapped all out. It out yeah. of you. <laughs> well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.